Proverbs 10. We're going to pick up with where we left off. And uh, again, we, we could have done a little bit of worship, but I, you know, we do have men's prayer tonight, so uh, this will allow us to, you know, when Tawan had texted me a little bit ago, I told him not to worry, and uh, actually I knew yesterday he was having a lot of things at work, but uh, we should finish a little bit early, and then uh, the men, we will stay and have a time of prayer, but um, that'll work out nice. Uh, picking up with where we left off, um, we're going to finish verses uh, 23 through 32. Uh, so I'll just read uh, a few of these verses, uh, 23 through 26, and then we'll read uh, 27 to 29, then we'll read 30 to 32 uh, to finish up. Let's start with verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. You can put one in your hand. I think most of you have one. Good. Verse 23, to do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The fear of the wicked will come upon him. The desire of the righteous will be granted. Uh, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man uh, to him who sends him. Let's open in prayer. Father, we are grateful to be here tonight. Uh, we are thankful for your amazing grace. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray even as we open your word that we're reminded even now by your spirit that what we're opening is supernatural, it's eternal, it's life-changing. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray that it would be like uh, cool water to dry and thirsty, uh, dry and thirsty land, that uh, we would soak these things up in our spirit. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, continue to use the washing of the word, uh, purifying your bride collectively and us individually. We pray your blessing on tonight's study, uh, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us in this uh, study of Proverbs, uh, it will remain you know, God-taking uh, through uh, Solomon primarily, but uh, a few other writers in the book, and just uh, conveying what it means to walk in wisdom. And uh, there's an awful lot of foolishness in the world these days. Uh, we need wisdom in so many areas. And we'll look at again tonight uh, that you know, wisdom is not just for our life, uh, but really the wisdom that the Lord speaks of uh, is everlasting, that, that we're building not only on uh, the things that, that God wants us to grow in in this lifetime, but we really are looking towards the wisdom of following Christ has eternal rewards. Uh, and, and praise God for that, because um, you know life is pretty short. So as short as it is, God says the wise will walk in these things, and there will be blessings for us now. Uh, but there's much more uh, to look forward to uh, in the life to come, and we'll see some of these things tonight uh, as we look at these verses. But let's start with verse 23. Uh, an interesting uh, statement here: uh, to do evil is like sport for a fool or to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. Now this first phrase, uh, the, to do evil is like sport to a fool. Think about the fact that those that, and you can go back to certainly, I remember well when I didn't know Jesus. It gets, that memory gets a little foggier over time, but I still remember what it was like when I was unsaved. I remember uh, my misaligned thinking. But those without Christ, they don't understand the seriousness of sin. Would you agree with that? 
that people that don't know, they do not understand the seriousness of sin. They, they don't really realize that sin, what we're born in, is a death sentence. But everyone would consider a death sentence to be serious, and everyone would consider someone on death row to have a serious condition, but most people don't consider sin all that serious, unless it impacts them negatively. But them participating in sin, uh, many times people don't consider that serious. Uh, you remember before being saved, I'm sure you do, those of you that uh, you know, didn't get saved at a young age and walked with Jesus your whole life, uh, those of you that got saved later in life, I was 20, uh, 26 when I got saved, uh, but you might remember watching, you ever remember watching comedians that you can't watch anymore? And you thought they were hilarious, and so did I. You would laugh so hard at the things that they were saying that you would literally have tears coming down your face and your stomach would hurt. And it didn't matter if it was Andrew Dice Clay or Chris Rock or, or George Carlin. You think about different people that, that you thought were hilarious. And now that would blister your ears, wouldn't it? You're like, how did I think that was okay? Because you were still in darkness. The light hadn't been turned on. This word sport, in the Hebrew, sehok is the word, uh, and it means laughter or laughing stock or mocking or derision. In other words, the world mocks at sin, laughs like it's not a big deal, just like they would at a comedy club, just like people would watch renting something that today you know is full of vulgarity and you know is full of cursing and things that uh, we'll give an account for. But these things, many people would just mock at sin, just kind of laugh at it, not, not any big deal. To many, sin isn't a big deal. And to many others, they won't call something sin or they feel like they can't call it sin or they don't call it sin, but things that God clearly calls sin. Now, if you were in our Galatians study, you saw that Paul enumerated some of the sins. And throughout the New Testament, there's various lists uh, in the New Testament of sin. And of course, there's various lists in the Old Testament of what sin is. Before we surrender to Christ, uh, we tend to play with sin as if it's a kitten, right? Kittens are fun, nice. Well, most of them are anyway, but, uh, but it's more like being in a dark room with a cobra and not knowing it's there. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? Shut the door in a dark room, you're in a hotel in a foreign country and you had a cobra in the room and you don't know it. You might be at ease, but you're in a lot of danger. And that's the way sin is. It's, it's around us whether we recognize the danger or not. It's there. Uh, but ignorance, ignorance is bliss for a while, isn't it? And that's the way we, we were kind of just rolling along before we came to know the Lord. So the world itself, sin is fun. You've seen the beer commercials. You've seen all the different commercials. H1 and MTV and all the reality shows. And, and the world sells sin as fun. It says that uh, as long as you're not harming anybody else, you know, it's just, hey, and, and by the way, America, we're a free country. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, whatever makes you happy, as long as it's not personally harming someone else. But you and I both know, and you've probably seen, I, you know, I, we had divorce in our family. You've seen divorce in other people's family. You know that one person's pleasure 
causes a lot of sin for other people, a lot of issues for other people, right? Sin does not only affect the person in it. Lying doesn't affect only the person who's lying, right? All these things have a way of, of touching and impacting others. Uh, but, you know, the world tells you that it's not going to harm other people. It's just your own personal issue. It's just your own personal preference, your own personal pleasure, whatever that may be. And there's no issues with it at all. Now, sin, you know, when the, when the world presents it, you know, sin to us or uh, our own flesh <laughs> presents sin to ourselves, uh, sin does have pleasure. The Scripture says this in, in Hebrews 11.25, calls it the passing pleasures of sin. So sin is enjoyable for a period of time. Just like uh, you know, some addictions may start out enjoyable, but they end up you know, with a noose around the very person that started out enjoying it. Recreational drug use might make you feel kind of really good for it at the beginning, but then it becomes chains, it becomes darkness. Over time, if sin is not re, uh, repented of, it becomes the norm in our life, doesn't it? We, we become... Uh, very used to it. Uh, lying becomes commonplace. Lust becomes acceptable, and you can kind of make rationalization for it. The words of our mouth become justifiable. Well, I should have said that. I have every right to say that. There's a rabbinical saying. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was written, but it said, commit a sin twice, and it will not seem a crime. Commit a sin twice, and it will not seem a crime. Now, you know that's true. It becomes easier to do the same sin, and people will justify it after a while, too. All the while, God hates sin, despises sin. He has wrath towards sin, the Scriptures tell us. And that those that ignore sin or make light of sin uh, or become numb to it or indulge in sin, uh, well, they're headed... Whether they know it or not, everyone that makes light of sin, mocks it, you know, just kind of dabbles in it, plays in it, lives in it, they don't know, but they are headed to a face-to-face meeting with God someday. That's reality. That is true. You know, most of us will never meet the President of the United States face-to-face, but everyone will meet God. Uh, you only want to meet him in one place, and that would be the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, because there's only two places to meet him. The great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. But everyone will, will meet him. If you meet him saved, you'll never leave his presence. If you meet him unsaved, you'll meet him once, but only once. And it'd be in judgment. But a person of understanding, well, a person of understanding believes God as to the seriousness of sin. Now, I don't even understand all the things about the seriousness of sin, do you? I just know God, what God says. Right? You don't have to understand why God says, you know, you ever, you know, first time you read something, you say, I wonder why that's such a big deal to God. You don't, whether you wonder and figure it out or not, it doesn't matter in the end, does it? If he says it's a big deal, it's a big deal. And so you just have to, by faith, say, all right, Lord, uh, you say this matters, then it matters. We have to believe him in the seriousness of sin. Um, we have understanding, those of us who know the Lord, we understand the holiness of God. We may not understand everything about the holiness of God, but we understand he's holy. We understand the word of God. We understand that the word of God is true. We understand the price Jesus paid for sin. 
How about that? We understand the price he paid for sin. You, it, it blows my mind. You know, it won't be long before Easter Sunday will be here that, that God says the trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of sins that have ever been committed could be paid for one way, the blood of Jesus. One afternoon on the cross could pay for all those sins. We understand the price that Jesus paid. And these things remind us to have a healthy fear of God and not to make light of sin and not to play with sin and not to dabble with sin, but to ask God's help to resist it. Don't you need God's help to resist sin? You need his help to resist it. You need his help. I need his help to resist it. We need his help to run from it, to avoid it, to make life decisions and choices that don't put us in a place of unnecessary temptation. The enemy has enough temptation without us adding to it. All that is all out there. But wisdom, we don't make provisions for sin. We make provisions to stay close to Jesus. That's wise, right? And the wise... We understand that these things can destroy even us, even after you're saved. David would be one of the first to tell us, hey, hey, I had a heart after God, but I made some horrible mistakes that cost people in my family and in the nation dearly. So even after salvation, we can make uh, quite a mess by forgetting the seriousness of God and forgetting to have the fear of the Lord. Let's look at verse 24. It says, the fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. We all deal with levels of fear, everybody, at, at times. Sometimes in life there's more. Um, Satan attacks the believer and the non-believer with fear. Would you guys agree with that? Even the believer gets times where we have fear. Could be something with the kids, could be something with our parents, could be something uh, in the world around us. We just see things that are taking place. It wasn't, I, I won't mention it, but uh, I won't tell it, but and I, had a, I hadn't had one in a while, but I had an apocalyptic, biblically apocalyptic dream uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it woke me up at three in the morning. My heart was pounding, and it was like stuff you'd see in the Bible. And I, of course, I, I know that these things will come one day. I hope I'm gone, but these things will come one day. I've read the book of Revelation. I've read the book of Daniel. How about you? I've read the book of Ezekiel. I've read throughout the scriptures. I've read what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. And so these things will come to pass. Some of them will come to pass while we're here. Some of them will come to pass after he's taken us uh, either, you know, the end of our life or through the rapture of the church. But nevertheless, those things, even things that God says are coming can cause some fear, right? So we all have some things that uh, you know, fear can kind of grip us. But a person that willing re willingly rejects the grace of God to be their own God and live for the world's rewards has zero protection from fear. Let me say that again. The person that rejects the fear of God to be their own God has zero protection from fear. Because fear will attack us all. 
And not only that, life based on fear. Christian, God doesn't want us to make our decisions based on fear. Fear will come. He wants us to get right-minded with the Lord and make our decisions based on faith, not based on fear. And not only that, those that uh, have rejected the Lord and, and are their own God, well, they can be overcome. I mean, just overwhelmed by fear and never get out of it at any time. It, it's only by the grace of God that it doesn't happen to every single person on earth. His common grace has you know, kept that from being uh, the case all the time. It's been well said, fear God or fear everything else. Fear God or fear everything else. Because everything else can become a source of fear. The world is driven by fear. Think about some of the fears that the world is driven by. They're not maybe ones that you think of all the time, but, but they're, they're very real to people. People are driven by the fear of not being accepted. That didn't bother John the Baptist. Didn't bother Jesus. Didn't seem to bother Paul. You notice that perfect love cast out fear. They did not care of the world. They knew that their relationship was so strong with God, they weren't so worried about not being accepted. But a lot of people are very fearful of not being accepted. There's the fear of not finding happiness. There's the fear of not having enough. There's the fear of not being significant. There's the fear of being excluded. There's the fear of not being promoted in the workplace. There's the fear of not being liked by the world. A lot of people are afraid of that. Jesus said the fear of man is a, or the scriptures say the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Afraid of not being liked. There's irrational fears. I've had some irrational fears in my life. I don't know if any of you have. I've had irrational fears. I don't, why is this even causing me any fear? There's the fear of death, right? That, that kind of sits in the backdrop of all of mankind, whether they even know it or not. A lot of times, that's what it is. And by the way, even Christians sometimes can have a fear of death. Even Christians. Yeah, Martin Luther wrote some good things about this. Um, and the reason why is we actually understand how holy... some Y'all actually meet some unsaved people that don't have a care in the world about death. I'm like, how do you not have a care in the world, but they don't seem to? They're afraid of other dumb things. But they really should be afraid of death. But they don't seem to be. But they're afraid of other things that don't matter at all. That's irrational in and of itself. But you know what's sad? Many Christians, and we've all been guilty from time to time, are afraid to really follow Jesus. That's what's really sad. Many Christians, everyone in this room has been guilty at times, is just afraid to follow Jesus. With, I mean, just with abandon. Just saying, I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. Many Christians are afraid to be a disciple because they're afraid of what it will cost. What will it cost to be a disciple? So they're afraid. We're afraid it won't be worth it, right? It's a fear. We're afraid it's just not going to be worth it. Because what, what I can carve for myself, as if you can actually guarantee your next breath from the lungs... But nevertheless, it might not be worth it. The promises of Jesus and his promises of peace, they give way to the sin of unbelief, and then the sin of unbelief gives way to fears 
that will be unhappy and will be less fulfilled with God's plan rather than our own plan. That is reality. Amen? That's what really, you know, we, we will try and call it something else, but if we're standing face to face with Jesus, he was like, you're afraid that I'm not telling you the truth. You're afraid that I really can't deliver the fulfillment that you're looking for. All right? But he really can. And Christians end up unsettled, anxious, and as uptight as the world, and seemingly without hope when they have the hope right in their hands in the Scriptures and in their hearts in the Holy Spirit. The desire of all people everywhere is to find fulfillment. Wouldn't you agree with that? People are all, everyone's looking for something to fulfill them. The world, the commercials, the flesh, they lie about what fulfillment is. Because Satan is the father of lies. He lies about what will actually fulfill a person. Um, what, if, I, if I've learned anything about my flesh, what will actually fulfill me is the opposite of what my flesh says. Because we're designed by the Lord, but then sin has messed everything up. Our, our wiring is all wrong. We're now wired to Satan's schemes and unwired to the truth that God says, I provide fulfillment. We, like, we don't... I don't see it that way. A million dollars would fulfill me. I know it. I just know it. Everyone else has messed it up, but you give it to me and it will work. Right? I'll be the first to find the fulfillment. Right? Everything else is grasping at the wind compared to what Jesus offers. We have to believe God. Amen? That's what the wise do. The wise say, I don't need, you know, you don't even have to figure this out. Just say, Lord, I believe you. Just start saying, Lord, I believe you. God wants to blow through doors and chains in our lives if we just say, Lord, I believe you. I believe you. I'm attracted to this thing on the commercial. I know that won't bring fulfillment. Lord, I believe that your word is the only thing. Just start, I mean little prayers all the time. Just start talking them all the time. This is what the saints of old did. And they just, little by little, they just became more and more convinced of the reason of the hope that lies within them. Works for us too. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, not just to give you a little morsel. Jesus says, don't fear little tiny flock. We're all a bunch of little sheep. Dirty, matted fur sheep. And Jesus said, don't fear, you're going to get the whole kingdom, the whole thing. It's your father's good pleasure to give it. Satan wants to give you a counterfeit, but it's not a sheep, it's a hand grenade. I mean, it's not a kingdom, it's a hand grenade. John 15, 11, I've quoted John 15 a lot the first few weeks of the year, but again, I'll remind you, these things I have spoken, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. See, joy is the opposite of restlessness. Joy is the opposite of restlessness. Joy is the opposite of fear. Let's look at verse 25. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but righteousness has an everlasting foundation. And by the way, that's where the title of tonight's came from. It's each time in Proverbs now, I just find a verse that I think captures the theme the best uh, in that area. And so... Verse 25, 
When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. Sadly, and eventually, everything in the world, everything in the world, everything in the world that's been built, placed on a pedestal, worked on for an entire lifetime, fought for even with wars, made sacrifices for, lived for, whether they're personal fortunes, whether they are megastar status, like an Elvis Presley or a Michael Jackson right, or a Tom Brady, whether you get megastar status in your lifetime, whether it's the ultimate retirement plan, and that's different for different people. What your dream or someone's dream of the ultimate retirement plan, which, by the way, I don't know why people dream about something that's even closer to the end, but nevertheless, people do. But that notwithstanding, even empires, as invincible as Rome seemed, you know, Rome lasted a long time compared to other world empires, but as invincible as Rome seemed, it wasn't invincible, but it seemed it, eventually, eventually it's all gone, and it's just like an F5 tornado just comes by. You ever seen, you know, F5 tornadoes are the most powerful ones. Uh, they lift everything off. Got the, it, it leaves nothing but bare concrete floor, and some of them have even ripped the concrete floor. Uh, they have even ripped the foundations out. Incredibly um, destructive. But uh, every, eventually it says the whirlwind, uh, when the whirlwind passes by the wicked and more, it, it's basically that God himself is the whirlwind. It will consume all the things that the world has built up. Like the, this start, the Tower of Babel, it was always man's attempt to build up something, right? But God will remove it, and it will be like it had never been there at all. You know, people aren't uh, paying taxes to Caesar anymore because Rome's gone, right? They're not going to Elvis Presley's concerts anymore. He's not with us anymore. You can still listen to his music, but you can't go see him. You can go walk around Graceland, but you can't see him. Someday, everything is gone. Now, Jesus made the most definitive statement that's ever been made on this. Jesus made the most definitive statement that's ever been made on this specific point, that one day the wicked are no more. And no matter what they've built up or no matter what they've acquired, he said in Matthew 16, 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Now, Jesus asked, this is the most fundamental question Jesus could possibly ask everybody. Now, he's asking a redundant question because the answer is in the question. And then he says, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates can't buy God off. It's just paper to him. He's like, I made the trees that that money came from. I made the, the hills where the gold is, all of it. You know, you, there's nothing. You could acquire the whole world, but then you still have to answer to God. And he says, all right, what did you have? To enter into heaven. Works aren't going to do it. Accomplishments. None of these things. Everything would be gone. First Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Job said the same thing. Naked I came in. Naked I will return. No, no matter what you build up, no matter what you acquire, you can't take a bit of it with you. Everything is gone. But those that are clothed in righteousness, it goes on to say, 
And the desire of the wicked, the desire of the righteous will be granted. The desire of the righteous will be granted. Hmm. We actually don't have to look at the whirlwind destroying us and taking us away. Those clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, well, we have an everlasting foundation. The righteous has an everlasting foundation. Verse 25 there. As C.T. Studd called it, he called it the bank of heaven. The bank of heaven, where the Christian should be depositing daily. We can't take anything to heaven. You guys all agree with that? We can't take anything to heaven. Not taking anything there. But here's what we can do. We can reserve things that are already there. We can't take anything to heaven, but we can make reservations for what's already there. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Are you reserving that mansion? Are you reserving crowns? You won't take a crown there. You will receive crowns there. You don't take a crown there. Are you reserving well done, good and faithful servant to hear the very words of the Lord? We can't take anything there, but we can reserve the things that are there. What are you reserving to he- what are your what are you reserving in heaven? What am I reserving in heaven? Jesus is the everlasting and the, and the and he's secured the foundation with his own blood. This is why Jesus said to build our lives on the rock. Why he said seek first the kingdom of God. Why he said to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where it can't be corrupted, it can't rust. He doesn't say take up. He said lay up. You see the difference? You can't take up treasure in heaven. You can only lay up. Investing spiritually. Dr. Tony Evans, I was listening to him uh, recently, and he said this. I love this quote uh, that he said. He said, you are not in the land of the living, headed to the land of dying. This This is if you're a Christian. He's speaking to Christians here. You are not in the land of the living, headed to the land of dying of the dying. You're in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. We're headed to the land of the living. We're headed where Moses is, where Abraham is, where Paul. We're headed to the land of the living. That's what God said. He goes, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living. This is the land of the dying. This truth, it sets our focus and it sets our priorities. You know why people right now all over the United States, you know, we're such a divided country. You know why people on the left and the right are lighting up Facebook? You know why many of them are losing any sense of decency, any sense of respect? They're angry at everything. Doesn't even make doesn't even matter before they even know the facts, they're angry at everything. On both on all sides, really. But here's why. For most people, this world is their home. This world is their home, and they desperately want to shape it to their concept of utopia. Because this world is their home, they desperately, if they could take Plato and make it into something, they would. And they're convinced that they're right. But you and I both know, if they could set up a world by their little dictates, it would end up in just as much flames as anyone else's. None of their plans would work. It's all towers of Babel. No matter who sets it up. So since this world is in my home, I'm not trying to make it into utopia. I've never expected a perfect president. I've never seen one. I've never expected us to have just brilliant, God-fearing, nonstop decisions coming out of Washington. 
in my 48 years, that doesn't even happen often anymore, right? You know, ever. Now we've got, we've got good people that love the Lord, but again, his world is in our home. So don't get preoccupied with fading stuff. Don't get preoccupied with fading success. And a lot of people are not involved in that, but they're just, they're just focused on personal pleasure and personal success. Don't get preoccupied with those things. Don't get preoccupied with a fading world. The world really is fading away. Hebrews 12.28 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What keeps us walking in grace? What keeps us walking in godly fear? What keeps us in the love of Christ? That we believe that his kingdom not only will come, but it has already come by the Holy Spirit. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not the United States kingdom come and will be done. Not Britain, not you know, the United Nations, not any method of man, we can walk because we know this isn't our home. Verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. Um, We have another mention here of the sin of laziness. It comes up often in the book of Proverbs. Uh, We need to teach our young people a strong work ethic. We really do very important that we teach a strong work ethic. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. By the way, our parents and grandparents were not afraid to employ this. Today's parents are petrified to employ this. It was not a big deal in the 70s to say, oh, you ain't eating tonight. People like today went, what? Am I right? If you were born in the 60s, 70s, 50s, you, this was not unusual back in the day. But today, everyone would be like, that is harsh and cruel punishment. Well, it really did a lot of us some good, didn't it? To be given such firm direction to stir up a work ethic. Work is required in life. If we don't, if we don't still a work ethic, this is why our, the young men in America really are falling off the, the wheels are falling off them, I should say. Uh, you know, we, we laugh about some of these things, but it's really not funny anymore. You know, guys sitting around playing PlayStation all day aren't ready to be men, aren't ready to be husbands. Work is required in life. Um, growing, in, uh, growing in work over personal pleasure is a sign of maturity. You know, how else will you be able to someday provide for a family if you don't learn how to work? It's a requirement that God has given to everyone, not just men, women too. I mean, God's called both men and women to be hardworking in whatever sphere he's given them. But hard work generally pays off, generally. There are, I mean, there's been times in history, if you were under slavery or things like that, where hard work didn't, see, didn't pay off. But generally speaking, and under a free society or a decent government of whatever that may look like, hard work generally pays off. Thomas Jefferson said, I find that the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. And that's true, isn't it? People that work hard, you know, things do start to turn. Wheels do start to turn in a direction that actually you make progress. Now, I don't believe in luck. I don't think any of you do either. But we understand the principle of what, what he was saying. But nobody wants to have a lazy person sent their way to get the job done, right? 
If you need a job done, you do not want the lazy person sent. In fact, they can make it even harder to get it done than doing it by yourself. The lazy person can actually slow the entire process down. And many a person will say, no, no, you, you leave them there. We got it. can trigger a whole restart if things are cut, corners are cut, and things are done wrong. You get to do the whole job over in any way. So that's not worth it either. Uh, I, when I was in college, and I've shared this before, never, it stuck with me. Uh, I was not saved. I was still bartending, but it still stuck with me. An unsaved guy, businessman, he said, you know, stuck in my mind all these years, because you want something done, ask a busy man. And it's always stuck with me because I have found every single place in life, if you want something done, you find a busy person, they'll get it done. You find a lazy person, they'll, you could give them a year to get it done. It wouldn't matter. But I found this to be true spiritually as well. It's not just true in the world, in the working arena. This is true spiritually. If you need something done, you need to find someone who's busy about the work of the Lord. Someone who's working and serving Jesus, and it's a joy to them to serve Jesus. Then when there's a real spiritual need, when there is spiritual work to be done, when there's spiritual work that's required, they will be the most likely to help, and boy, will they help, because they do it in the joy of the Lord. Because they're working under the Lord. They're servants. They understand they've been called to be bond servants. And they're so valuable. And they, they, God wants the whole church to look like that. You've got you to come Sunday, and our Galatians study is going to touch on these same things, very similar principles. John Wooden, he was the coach of UCLA. They won more, more national titles than any NCAA basketball team ever has. He said this. He said, always do more than is required of you. That's a great principle for life. If the whole bo- imagine if the whole body of Christ did more for God than what they thought was required. Wow. You talk about the impact. We talked about Sunday, little baby steps forward. Can you imagine if everyone at home, at work, and in the church did a little bit more than what was required? Everyone did a little more at home, wives and husbands and kids. Everyone at work, bosses, people working for them. And everyone in the church did a little bit more than what was required. What the job description said, if everybody did a little bit more. Do you know the difference between great teams or great companies is people that just do a little bit more instead of just a little bit less than required or right at the line. If everyone took a step forward in this church and their prayer life and every other area, imagine the work. Verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. We've already touched on the importance of fearing the Lord, uh, which is to believe him and to trust him and to be in awe of his glory and his authority over us and everything else. But here we see that there is a key. It says the fear of the Lord prolongs days. We see there's a key here to longer life. And it has more to do with a surrendered will than it does to perfect fitness, 100% organic diet, vitamins, and perfectly timed stress-relieving vacations. Now, those things aren't wrong. 
Those things aren't sin or anything. I'm not saying any of that. I used to eat more organic, but the price just keeps going. I'm like, back to Walmart brand, and it is, you know. So um, you like that, don't you? But I'm not even as, the longer I get, I don't even worry about it as much anymore. I'm starting to really believe what God says about these things. You know? This is what he says. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. You do not have to be in a panic about every single thing. I think it's good to eat good. I think, I mentioned, I think we need to exercise and things like that. But they're not the number one key. Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. Does some good. But it has its limitations. Now to be our best... I think it's the Lord wants us to make wise decisions with what we eat. I think he wants us to make wise decisions uh, you know, in, in not overindulging and wants to make wise decisions about you know, exercising the body and the mind and all these things. Those are just wise things to do. But this is an emphatic statement. It says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. It excludes the other things as the primary. This is the primary. Matter of fact, the people that fear the Lord, God will help them make... You, doesn't this make sense? If you fear the Lord, wouldn't you make wise decisions in the other areas automatically? But if you make wise decisions in the other areas, quote-unquote wise, but don't fear the Lord, you're missing the whole... This is the caboose trying to drive the train. This is an emphatic statement. As I mentioned Sunday, among other things, um, personally... I want longer days that I might someday impact my kids' kids. That I might impact more people for Jesus. Because when you're gone, it's not really going to matter what you become. It's just going to matter how many people you touched for the Lord. That's the only thing that will matter. You want to decrease lifespan? Here's the rest. But the years of the wicked are shortened. This seems like a clear choice, doesn't it? Live a life devoted to sin. Live a life devoted to self. God says, a shortened life is in the cards for that. You see this all the time. People that, you know, Al Capone had it all for a while, right? Mafia, crime, you know, got to live on top for a while. Even stars that seem to have it all. That How many stars die tragically early? I mean, every year they're on the front of the new annual life magazine. It's like, we're so shocked. Why is everyone shocked anymore? God says this is the way it is. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. From an eternal eternal standpoint, we have the hope of heaven. The way of the Lord, I'm sorry, the hope of the righteous will be gladness. We have the hope of heaven. Most of us have had some glad days on this earth. Most of us have had some glad, or hopefully our wedding day was a glad day. Please don't say it wasn't. You know, that, that's not going to help you. <laughs> We've had some bad ones to be sure. We've all had bad days. We've had some days that were worse than bad. They were heartbreaking, really difficult, you know. So they're not all good days, but we've had some glad days. But some days are really good, and they're better than others. But think about this. If you could combine... All the best moments, I mean all the best moments, the seconds and the minutes, all the best of your entire life, and you could combine them into one day, it wouldn't make 
the top 900 trillion in heaven. Our understanding of eternity is so limited. Our understanding of what the glory to come. And so we make the worst, continually we say, this little pot of porridge is better than what God has in store. If you could put all the best together, it wouldn't make, and 900 trillion is just a big, big number. It's, it would be, wouldn't make the top way, way larger number than that. Paul wrote in 1 uh, Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So in other words, Paul said, but the Holy Spirit has communicated to me, Paul, and I'm communicating to you, that we can't even comprehend it. The, the most you can think of, we haven't comprehended. Paul said, your heart can't even comprehend it. You have no clue this is by faith, God is going to, heaven will blow our minds. But far more than we can possibly. That's how I know a lot of these books aren't true. First of all, their stories conflict, which is a major problem. There's a bunch of them have told, I went to heaven and saw this, and I'm like, um, problem is six of you have had stories, and all six conflict. That's a big problem. But the second thing is the mind can't even comprehend it. But for those that reject Christ, all their hopes are temporary. It says in verse 20, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Those who reject Christ, their, their uh, hopes are temporary. Their hopes, they'll die with death. And all the resisting of God's salvation and, and the home of heaven that, uh, that he promises or he's willing to extend, all that ends. Proverbs 29.1, it says, he who is often rebuked, um, and hardens his heart, will suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy, that all of a sudden there's no more chances. It ends right there. Verse 29, the way of the Lord, uh, uh, the way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come for the workers of iniquity. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Do you want strength even as you're aging? I'm not talking about that you'll get you know, bigger and stronger but yet there's a strength that comes even as you're aging. Do you want strength when you feel weak? Do you want strength to be a parent? Do you want strength, spiritual strength for your mind? Do you want strength to say no to temptations? Do you want strength to say yes to the Lord or yes to the work of the Lord? Do you want the strength to be a disciple and to fully put your life in Christ's hands? We need strength for all of these things. That's just a short list. I love the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I love these words in the hymn. It says, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. And I believe, you know, we know that there's a great cloud of witnesses that would say, we receive those blessings. We receive strength to walk into literally the fires that the enemy would set. But strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You know, as Stephen was being stoned, he was looking up and he said, I see Jesus, right? He didn't even care. Man, he was filled with joy. I don't even believe he felt anything at that point because he was enraptured because he believed in bright hope for tomorrow. 
strength for the day. That's why he could preach with such power that he did. But destruction will come. Strength for the, uh, strength for the upright, but destruction will come on the workers of iniquity. For a life of uh, self and bondage, there is no strength. There is no real hope. It's only a mirage with destruction at the end. Verse 30, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will... Uh, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. If you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, we'll have, with either death or the rapture, we'll have a temporary time away, a temporary time out, if you will, right? But it's not a time out like you're in trouble time out. Your time out will be in the glory of heaven. But we would temporarily... Step away with the Lord. By the way, Jesus temporarily has stepped away from the earth, hasn't he? He was not removed. He stepped away. He says we won't be removed. We are with him for just a short period of time. But Jesus, no one kicked, Satan didn't kick Jesus out of the earth. He ascended back up to heaven and said, I'll be back very soon. Do you know in the end of Revelation, he says he's coming back quickly? A lot of people say, well, well, I don't know what that means because it's been over 2,000 years. If he says quickly, I believe him. How about you? He says quickly. I'll be back shortly. The room, if you will. I'll be right back. So we're not going rem- to be kicked out of the earth. We're going to be brought under the arm of the Lord. But it's a temporary thing even that because we will go to be with the Lord, but the deed of this earth belongs to Jesus. He won the victory at Calvary. The deed belongs to him. Satan's the one that's on borrowed time. The deed belongs to Christ. And then it belongs to us in him. Because it said, remember Jesus said, the Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. We receive the deed with Jesus. Isn't it interesting, those that are trying to make this world their home won't inherit it. And those that are not trying to make this world their home will inherit it. Everyone's trying to make it their home. They'll never get it. Don't make it your home. We'll receive it. We'll actually come back with Jesus on white horses. There's a white horse reserved for you if you're saved. Isn't that cool? If you've never ridden a horse, you're going to get to. <laughs> I don't ride horses. The one time I did it, bee stung it in the back. I went off. I'm thinking it's not going to go that way this time. I think it's gonna, there won't be a bee issue or anything like that. But we're all getting a white charger it's coming back with Jesus. That's what this, I'm not making this up. It's in the book of Revelation. Isn't that great? And we'll come back and receive a new earth that he will make like back into the Garden of Eden. That he's going to deliver to his church family, his, brother, uh, his sons and daughters. Last verse is 30 and 31. And the wicked are not going to inherit that. 30 and 30, uh, 31 and 32, I'm sorry. The mouth of the righteous bring forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. Ouch. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is perverse. These last two verses, they finish with the mouths of all people. That basically God says, the mouth of man falls into two camps. A righteous mouth that has been changed by the Lord, or a filthy mouth that's still dead in trespass and sin. Now, even those of us who are saved, we still have things that come out that shouldn't. 
but our mouth is considered clean because of the blood of Jesus. And the longer we walk with the Lord, the more our tongue reflects the Lord. It takes time. But out of the gate, one of the first things you might remember when you got saved is you immediately could start thinking, you could start saying, whoa, I don't think I should say that anymore, right? Well, you didn't have some pastor hitting you upside the head when that, you were, you were at work, right? There wasn't someone coming behind you, kicking you in the rear end, saying, you're not supposed to say that anymore. It was the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is the one that starts from the heart and the mind, starts to grab this thing called the tongue. And one of the ways that God says you would know foolish versus wise is what comes out of the mouth. Does it honor the Lord? Does it honor man? Does it honor the Lord? Does it honor themselves? These last two verses finish with the mouths of those who know God and those that don't know God. Now, Jesus said we're going to give an account of every word. That's pretty sober. James said the tongue is an unruly thing, causes all kinds of problems. Causes divorces, causes wars, causes issues. Uh, James also says um, that he said, Not many of you should desire to be teachers because you're going to be judged by a stricter standard of everything that comes out of your mouth. So, you know, some people that just are dying to be pastors, I, I don't know why. By the way, it says stricter. I think a lot of people in the church think this doesn't apply to them because, well, if I'm not a pastor or, or an evangelist or something like that, then I don't have to worry about that. It says stricter. Stricter means the other one, everyone else is strict. We will all be judged by a strict standard of Jesus Christ. It's just that those that have Christian leadership get a little stricter. So if you were under a strict household, and maybe the oldest got a little bit more stricter, but everyone got strict. And what does that mean? Well, because a lot of people, well, one thing that's nice about being a pastor is like, I don't feel, I, it, the more responsibility you have, sometimes it's the better because I don't feel okay to say anything I want on social media because I know it could blow up. Now, not that I would say, sometimes... I want to make a strong point. And the Lord says, you can't make it. Because you'll ruin the opportunity to reach more people for Jesus. So I just say, all right, I know what I could say. I know what I want to say. But I'm not going to say it. Right? And God takes care. And, then, and by the next day, I couldn't care less, right? And that's the way it kind of works. But I see other people out there, just, they just blister whatever they want to say. Someday they're not even going to get hired because I'm going to say, hey, you know, what are you saying over here? Be careful with our mouths. We're all, under, we're all under the Holy Spirit's examining what it is that he wants us to say. Someone once said the tongue weighs practically nothing, but so, people, so few people can hold it. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be along the glory and dominion forever and ever. The tongue is supposed to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what it's supposed to do. Do you know that? That's what the tongue is supposed to do. It's supposed to be glorifying Jesus. And here's the thing. I want to close with something practical about this. This is, I believe, something God wants us to all do, and I know it'll work. It's scriptural. If we practice, think about this, if we practice talking to God more and more, we'll start to speak as his heart when words come out and we talk to other people. 
The more we talk to God, when we talk to others, we'll talk as God would have Jesus talk. We will develop, the scriptures is the mind of Christ. See, the mind is where the words come out. That's why when people type on Facebook and Twitter, their mouths aren't talking, but really their mouths are talking. Because a lot of times they're even talking out loud to the computer while they're typing. Because the mind is what makes words. The tongue is just what kind of brings it to the final uh, conclusion. But if our mind is talking to the Lord, we'll speak the things that God wants to say to the world, the things that Christ would say. And as we close here, looking at these verses as a whole, and even really all of chapter 10, if we keep building on this everlasting foundation, well, what will happen? We'll keep laying up treasure in our permanent home. That's a good deal, right? We'll be laying up treasure in our permanent home. It'll give us peace and joy now, not just in heaven. It'll add strength, and who here doesn't need that? It'll add to our days, and that will be worthwhile if our strength is growing too. It'll transform our mind and thoughts, and what comes out of our lips will be coming from God, and it will honor God, and it will encourage others, and it will bring light to darkness. This is the will of God for us all. Amen? Let's close, and I'm going to just read the passage that I've been led to read as a closing blessing from the book of Numbers. Bow your heads, and I'll just close here. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, may you hide these things in our heart, and may we grow in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.